bonus so money episode ask farnoosh with special co-host jerry weil from charles schwab you're listening to so money with award-winning money guru farnoosh torabi each day get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds authors influencers and from farnoosh herself looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons sorry you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life. Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. This is a special bonus Ask Farnoosh coming at you this Thursday, September 26. We have questions from listeners about how to break the financial ice with a fiance before you walk down the aisle. Might want to have a conversation. How do you have it? Question about student loans. A listener is on the income-based repayment track and not sure if she should stick with it or just nip it in the bud now. And of course, a lot of questions about retirement and real estate. This is a special Ask Farnoosh brought to us by Charles Schwab. And as many of you know, I'm working with Charles Schwab to help spread financial literacy to the masses. And it's been a really great collaboration so far. I'm a Charles Schwab customer and have been for many years. So before we get going, just want to thank Charles Schwab for helping us get this financial education content to you. And helping me out today with your money questions is Jerry Weil, who is a certified financial planner. He is a manager of the Charles Schwab branch in Houston, Texas, and he's been with Schwab and in the financial services industry for over two decades. He's a dad. He went to Kent State. He loves talking about personal finance. Excited to introduce him to you and get to your questions. Here we go. Jerry Weil, welcome to So Money, all the way from Texas. How's it going down in Houston? Life is good. Hot here at the end of summer, Farnoosh. How about you? Can't complain. Can't complain. And I know that for the both of us, it's back to school season. Your son is headed off to college. How do you feel, Dad? Dealing with the change. I'm proud, <laughs> Papa, for sure, but I miss my boy. Yeah. Where's <laughs> yeah, he? He's doing great. Where's he headed off to? Or where is he? Yeah, so he is at the University of Texas at Dallas. Mm-hmm. He's studying physics up there in the honors program. Wow. So he's doing great after a two-week check-in. I love me an honors program at a state university. That is where I studied, not in Texas, but at Pennsylvania State University in the honors program. It's the, one of the best values, I think, for education you can get these days. Yeah, we agree. All right. So now, Jerry, you have been in financial services for 25 years. Where did your passion for helping people with their money come from as a certified financial planner? Well, I think it goes back to the early days. Actually, my, my mother was a nurse, and we had talked about a career path when I was young about being a doctor. But uh, when it came down to the schooling and what was needed for that, not quite my area that I was interested in. So in college, I took some business classes and switched to finance and really enjoyed the financial services side, the, the numbers side of the business. And then with Schwab, I've been here, uh, it'll be 24 years in the fall. And it's a great opportunity to not only help people, but communicate, learn their stories, make specific recommendations, and kind of mirroring those two life goals that I've had of, of the finance side and helping people. So it's been great. Fantastic. I know that this is a passion of yours so much that you teach this in Eagle Scouts as uh, you are uh, a I guess, a parent volunteer with your son's Eagle Scout, and you lead the communication and personal management badges, getting them young. 
Yeah, I don't wear the uniform, but boy, am I a proud father. My, my son, my oldest, is an Eagle Scout, and I help specifically with the communication merit badge mm-hmm. and the personal merit badge, um, helping both young men and young women in the Scouts program uh, achieve those goals. And I think just two life skills that can really help uh, them grow up, grow up as great citizens. So proud to, proud to share that. Well, we have a lot of questions from listeners some are worried about, you know, what to do with their mortgage. Should I pay it down early? Should I just let it go uh, to stay the course? Uh, we have a question about saving in a 401k when you're a foreigner and you're not sure if you're going to retire in the States. How do you tackle that? I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Also a question about, you know, how to break the ice when you're talking about money with your fiance for the first time. Our first question comes from Instagram, and it's Marlon, who has been thinking about financial strategy. Uh, the only debt Marlon has is their home. Uh, they have a 30-year fixed mortgage at a pretty good low interest rate, 3.75%. Her husband and her go back and forth on whether they should hurry up to pay off the house or put that extra money into an index fund where they've seen historically higher returns. Now, she does mention there are no penalties for paying off the mortgage early, which is good. She can pay the principal directly. I, I get this question a lot, and I I was just talking about this with my family, Jerry, because uh, my father was thinking about you know maybe refinancing and doing a fifteen year mortgage, or just this idea of you know being more aggressive with your mortgage. There's a lot of things to consider before you dedicate more money to your mortgage, right? There sure are lots of good considerations and. For Marlon and her husband, I would applaud them. If the only debt they're carrying right now is that new home, congratulations on the new home and congratulations on just low debt. That's great. Um, But yeah, I I think as we talk to investors and savers about what their program is around the mortgage, two main terms that we start with is is the rate. You know, is it a good rate? I think that's part of the consideration. Then also the term. I think a lot of time when home buyers purchase a home, they, they default to that 30-year mortgage. But the statistics show that typically people don't stay in that home for seven years. So I think that refinance question could be a, a very good question to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you add? You know, for me, what stood out was the question of should I put my money into the mortgage or in the stock market? And I think historically, the stock market, you know, over time has provided a higher yield. Um, you know, their interest rate is not very high. I'm just mathematically, I'm like thinking maybe the the market is a is quote unquote better place for their money. It's it's not going to be guaranteed, obviously, like it would be putting money into the mortgage. You will definitely have a smaller window, and you'll be able to pay off that mortgage sooner. But if you put it in the index fund, you you know you have to be ready for the ups and downs of the market. So that's the one caveat, of course. I, I would also think about what their goals are in the next like three to five years. You know, if they don't need this money and they can sort of put it in the market and let it ride for many more years, I think that and maybe they, they do need to supplement things like retirement savings. I think that could be, again, a pointing back to the market. That's kind of where I'm leaning. Yeah, I think there's pros and cons to both considerations. You hit some of the highlights there for sure. And, you know, on the pros side of things, just even the the mental part of it, peace of mind. I know a lot of people that I talk to as investors with Schwab, they talk about that peace of mind and how it's satisfying for them to have the, the loan paid off. It can be a very good thing, of course. The interest rates, you know, that there's a opportunity cost with those dollars. Where can they best be um, allocated? Is it towards a retirement or is it towards paying down the loan? 
a lot of times in a 30-year loan, the biggest expense as part of that is the interest right. as opposed to principal. And so bottom line, spending those dollars, you've got to figure out what's the opportunity cost. So there's a lot of pro and cons. The other one that I'd mentioned, too, is I think uh, for consideration to kind of that middle ground. Is there an opportunity? Yes. And a lot of people will make a payment uh, towards the principal, not towards interest, but towards principal to try to reduce that interest expense over the years, along with achieving some of those other goals, which could be the retirement savings or cash reserves, those kind of things. So I, I would remind people it's not an all or none decision. Right. We don't know exactly how much extra money there is lying around uh, that they're considering putting towards either the mortgage or either the market. Could you do both? Could you do a, a go splitsies with that money and do a little bit of paying down the mortgage, putting money towards the principal and uh, putting more money in the market? All right. Well, Marlon's not done with us. <laughs> um, she has another question, a twofer here. Her second question is this. So here's the retirement plan. Um, they're setting aside funds in an index fund because they are foreigners in the U.S. So would we recommend that they also set up a 401k? They're Canadian and not, sh not sure if they're going to retire in the U.S. So I'm not really clear on what the rules are for foreign nationals do you know? Yeah. I, you know, a lot of times we, we experience this here in Houston, Texas, very diverse community. We've got people from all over the globe that come here for, for the city. And so I hate to say it, but Farnoosh, the best advice we can have is check with your tax advisor specific to your country as far as your retirement plans and those kind of things. But I think some of those basic elements of what's available here in the U.S. for retirement planning are things that we advise our, uh, our clients to take a look at, things like retirement plans, IRAs. Um, take, take advantage of the opportunity here, so maybe we can dive into some of those facts. Yeah, I, again, if there is an ability to invest in a 401k or an employer-sponsored retirement plan, Marlon, I would seriously look into it. I think it could be a great supplement to the brokerage account that you have because there might be an opportunity to get something like an employer match, contributions, um, may be tax deductible, again, depending on, you know, her tax situation here in the country. But there are some exclusive benefits to a 401k that uh, I don't, I think are kind of unparalleled with other kinds of retirement accounts. So if there is an opportunity to invest in a 401k, why not? We would also recommend taking a look at IRA as a savings vehicle as well, if that's available to you. If it's um, above and beyond, if you've got those dollars, like you said, we don't know the specific dollar amounts available to the to the couple. But bottom line, if they've got a chance to contribute to a IRA or a Roth IRA, there's a lot of tax advantages there. So um, IRAs are a vehicle that might complement the, the strategy they're implementing now. Yeah, I agree. Transitioning now to student loans. Allie has a question about paying down her student loans. She's been on income-based repayment for a while, which, by the way, I just learned, thanks to an investigation from ProPublica, Jerry, that 99% of applicants are rejected for income-based repayment, which is a federal program that was designed to help borrowers with federal loans to peg their payments to their income, make them more affordable. They, uh, you know, over the years have broadened the program to try to bring in more um, applicants and, in theory, help more people, but 99% of people get rejected. Not sure why. So, Allie, you're lucky, I guess. You're one of the lucky 1%. So, she's got this income-based repayment. 
plan that she's been on. More about Allie. She's a musician, freelance arts teacher. So she says, I don't make a ton of money. Her current repayment a month is $0. Wow. But the interest on the debt is growing. Now, if she keeps doing income-based repayment for 16 more years, it's a 20-year plan, the government will forgive the loan and the interests. Um, she would just have to pay the taxes on that, which is about $29,000. And she says that, uh, sidebar, I also owe $450 on my credit card. She owes a few hundred bucks to her dad, which she thinks she can knock out by the end of the year. But she just doesn't know what to do with the student loans. Keeping on this track with income-based repayment or tackling them and the interest what do I do? Yeah, I'd say we talk to people all the time about the best way to kind of tackle debt and the way to approach it. And Schwab's actually developed eight savings fundamentals that I think are very applicable to this situation with Allie. And the first four, we, we always recommend clients follow them in order. So why don't I hit those? And then, of course, sure. we'll, we'll make sure to bring it home on the on the student loan side. But first one, kind of like we talked about earlier, which is don't leave money on the table. That one translates directly to that 401k you talked about earlier. If an mm-hmm. employer will make a contribution on your behalf, that's essentially free money. So as a freelancer, you, you may or may not have this option, but specific to the fundamentals, don't leave money on the table. Number two, when it comes to debt, any of those high-interest, non-deductible debts like the credit card that you mentioned, tackle that one first. That's the one that doesn't have the benefits and slows people down. So that's the second fundamental. Third one, after you've narrowed that down, make sure you've got an emergency fund. That's that proverbial rainy day fund, the three to six months of living expenses, just to make sure you've got that covered. Fourth one, focus on the retirement savings, making sure that you're maximizing the IRA contributions, the 401ks we talked about. Those are the first four, Farnoosh. Then the next one, after we nail those first four in order, now you can consider the best way to pay off the student loans. As you mentioned, there are some advantages to this specific student loan for So I'd recommend tackling those first four and then approaching the student loans. Yeah, I think she's concerned with being on in this program for so many years, right? This is going to be, we talked about kind of that emotional burden up top with the couple and their mortgage. I think that is also what she's getting at, although she hasn't explicitly said this, but 16 years left, left on this program. She is very fortunate to even be on this program and she's paying $0 right now with interest accruing, however. Um, So I guess she's just really also feeling emotionally bogged down by this because eventually what what if your life changes right you know she's a musician and an artist now her income is not high so she's qualifying for this program she makes more money she will then have to obviously pay something towards the debt the calculation will change uh, yeah i think that this is just more of an emotional conundrum but i think you know technically speaking it, it seems like if she just kind of stays tr- the the course she should be fine. And I think in the meantime, taking care of those other fundamentals, like you mentioned, prioritizing those will, will, will help her. I think she's also feeling like she's not really getting ahead um, financially. So if you focus instead on saving and investing and paying off the high interest debt, I think she'll feel more like she's making progress 
you know, because 16 years not having made any dent on that student loan, um, or rather four years not having making a dent, and then another 16, and she doesn't know what's going to happen. I think that can be a bit of a tough pill. Yeah, and I would say, you know, one thing we talked to people about is there are things as as uh, termed good debt. And I think the student loan could fall into that category. While it's an emotional decision, I would recommend hitting those first four ones that are going to help her guide through thick and thin in a rough market or any change of job like you talked about, and then focus it. 16 years is, is a long time, but our plan in the short term, if she tackles those first four, then she can go aggressively after the, the student loan and, and get the peace of mind that she's talking about. But I wouldn't skip those first four. They're very important. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Thanks so much for your question, Allie, and good luck. Okay. Last question from an anonymous listener who's getting married in six months. Congratulations. She admits that she and her fiance have not discussed how they're going to manage money together once they're married. She says, I feel like we should have a discussion as soon as possible, but I'm not sure where to begin or even what we should talk about specifically. They have been splitting the cost of everything and using their own bank accounts. Is this still okay after we get married? So do you want me to go first? I got some, I got some thoughts on this, um, and I'm sure you do as well, but I, I guess I'll kick it off here and, and just firstly say that there are no hard and fast rules, I think, when it comes to managing money in your relationship, so long as the way that you're managing the money in the relationship, one, uh, you know, is, is, is such that your finances get addressed, your bills get paid. Two, there's transparency. Everybody is aware of what's going on. And three, that there's constant dialogue around how things are being managed and questions that anybody has and, you know, t- revisiting the goals. I think that what you do tactically is very personal. I know couples that like to pull all their money into one bank account. Others like to keep things entirely separate. Others do a hybrid. And what I'm learning over the years um, is that there's no one size fits all, right? Every couple is going to have their own kind of style. But I think what is necessary, no matter the style you pick, is constant dialogue, open dialogue, um, mutual respect for each other's sort of financial tendencies and like coming to terms with each other's past around money and being respectful and not judging, being extremely transparent with like how the money is getting managed and where everything is. Because believe it or not, there's always that one person in a relationship, not always, but sometimes that has no idea, passwords to accounts, you know, how much their monthly mortgage is, how much their spouse makes. You'd be surprised, Jerry, how often... I find out through my work that someone in a relationship didn't know how much their partner was earning. That's scary to me. Um, So, you know, these are sort of the non-negotiables I think that are important in a marriage when it comes to money, less so kind of the structure of it all. Uh, Personally, in our relationship, and I'd be curious to know what happens in your relationship, Jerry, my husband and I have three buckets, my account, his account, and our accounts. For the two of us, it's really important to maintain a sense of financial autonomy in our relationship. That you know, we both arrived into this relationship with our own set of kind of financial philosophies and what we like to spend our money on. And, you know, I think that it's important these days, especially in modern relationships, for people to feel still very um, individual, you know, and independent in their relationships. And I think your money should still be your money 
in some regards, whether that's 5% of your paycheck, 10% of your paycheck that you're siphoning off for you and you can go and spend that without any permission, guilt, none of that. And then you've got your joint account together that is designed to support all of your joint expenses and you pull your money into that every so every month or however frequently. Um, and then I'll tell you one more thing as far as breaking the ice and talking about money with your fiance. My husband and I, prior to getting married, we were, first step was moving in together. And at this point, you know, we've been dating for a number of years. While we hadn't explicitly talked about money, you can you pick up on things, right? You can probably sense by year two or three if your partner is cheap, right? If your partner um, has a, a, maybe a scarcity mindset around money or the reverse. And at this point, I think we were both pretty um, – pretty cool with where we were coming from financially and our our respected philosophies, respective philosophies. And but here's what we did. We went to a place that we both love, a Mexican restaurant that we'd had our first date. We knew that the point of this get together, um, at least initially, was to share our financial information with one another. So we said, come prepared with your annual salary your retirement savings, any debt that you have, your credit score, and what else? I think that was that was it. Those th- those four things: savings, debt, investing, and earnings and credit score. So we jotted that down on a post-it and then we swapped and at the same time revealed each of our financial realities. And fortunately, we weren't either neither one of us was especially shocked to learn anything, but it was our ritual that we did that um, it's a story that I tell over and over again. And I think it's, it's important to make whatever the conversation is going to be about to make it in a relaxed environment and to come with an understanding of what's going to be discussed. Now I've, I have hijacked the mic and I'm going to now hand it over to you, Jerry, tell me everything. What do you think this couple should do? Well, I'll go down the personal story as well. This one's kind of a fun question for you to ask. I'm actually celebrating my wedding anniversary today, 21 years with my wonderful wife, wow. Amy. So, yeah. Congratulations. We received some advice before we got married, and it was essentially communication is the key to any successful relationship. I gleaned that from your story, and I recommend it all the time. The most important thing when it comes to money is to communicate. It can be in a very emotional situation. People have strong feelings, and we've heard the the rough stats about how finances can impact that marriage if there's not good communication. So I reiterate what you said, which is have a plan. My wife and I have meetings on a regular basis, so she takes care of the day-to-day bills, takes care of the credit card, the expenses, the things that we do. My side of things, it's much more about the investments, the long-term retirement strategies and college saving strategies. But the thing that we hold true is frequent communication and conversations at the family level, including our boys, about the things that are important to us, the things we value as far as our beliefs, and then also, not the specific dollars, but the things that we want to make sure that everybody realizes are kind of foundations to to financial success. So couldn't be uh, stronger on the I, I use a term with my family and my team. There's no such thing as over-communication. Right. And that rings true. So, 
at Schwab, we've actually tried to make it kind of fun for, for clients. We've put together a, we'll call it a, a game of cards. It's called Richer Conversations. Oh, yeah. It essentially sets up some questions and is geared towards people that are going through this change. And, you know, a couple of examples. What would you do if you won the lottery? That one's always kind of a fun one to get the, the wheels of spinning. But what financial habits of mine really bug you? That's a deep question, and yes. it's good conversation going. I know this game very well. In fact, um, Schwab and I teamed up uh, recently. We went to Williamsburg, where they have this mural, and it's this diagram, and it's really cool. If you walk past it, it's somewhere in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. I forget the exact address, but you um, can learn a lot about you know how to manage money in your relationship and the kind of maybe money personality that you have in your relationship. And I would talk to people on the street on camera about how they are dealing with money in their respective relationships. And we talked to people who had relationships with their kids. We talked to parents. We talked to couples. We talked to singletons who were date- dating. It was really fascinating stuff. And I know those videos are coming out soon over at uh, Schwab.com. So thanks for bringing that up. Totally uh, escaped me, but that is very relevant. Yeah, it's a great one for sure. Yeah, the summary of the thing, regardless if you take your approach, my approach, just have an approach. And and if you haven't done that with your spouse or significant other, it's never too late. Get started now and have that conversation. It's important. Yeah, and it's good that she's coming to us six months prior to walking down the aisle. It's a good time, um, you know, because scarily, a lot of married couples don't know the basics. I tell you, people don't know how much their spouses make. If you are listening and not sure how much your partner earns, you're not alone. But my one task for you today is to go out and find out and ask. And it's your right to know. And I don't know why people don't ask this question. It's not like it's some guy at work, you know, and you're feeling like it's nosy to ask some person at work how much this person makes, but this is your partner. So if you're trying to, you know, share in some goals, financial goals, you should know what the financial realities are. Well, thank you so much, Jerry, for joining us. It's been really, really helpful to have you tag teaming these questions. I'm not sure I could answer these with such a you know, acuity as you, if I didn't have you sharing the mic with me. So I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Vernish. Really appreciate it. And best wishes. To learn more about Schwab and how to work with them, visit schwab.com slash so money. Schwab offers a range of services for people looking to invest and plan for their future. Whether you want to invest on your own with the help of do-it-yourself tools and educational resources, get some periodic guidance from a professional or work with someone in a branch. You can find it all at schwab.com slash so money.